Hey, founders, welcome to another episode of the Gab Lab, the show that's designed to bring you financial intelligence that won't only just blow your mind, but it will build your bottom line as well. I'm your show host, Tony Woods Richardson, and today's episode being championed by our good friends at Community Futures, Saskatchewan, over 25 offices across the province to help you nail your numbers. All right, we're in for a treat today. Today, we're bringing you the first of our series, Financially Fierce Founders, and we're kicking it off with none other than Katrina German. Katrina and I go way back to her first venture, One Story, back in 2011, 2012, and around there. Since then, she's gone on to found KatrinaGerman.com, as well as a new tech venture called Ethical Digital. She's also the author of Action Tracking and a long list of accolades, including CBC Future 40 Under 40, YWCA Women of Distinction Award for Entrepreneurship, Startup Canada Prairie Award for Innovation, and the prestigious International Women in Tech Award for Women in Communication. You won't want to miss this episode. Katrina is getting real, raw, and relevant, and what it takes to actually get financially fierce, focused, and fearless. We'll see you in the Gab Lab. Hey, well, welcome to the Gab Lab, Katrina. I am so excited that you're here to join us today. Hello, hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're changing things up a little bit. This is episode 21, and this is the first time that we're actually having a founder on the show and a founder who is willing to get uh, very real about numbers and money. This is a topic we've had a lot of discussions on this topic, you and I, and it's a topic that's cloaked in a lot of shame, a lot of secrecy. And then on the other side, there's a lot of ego and pretense. So for you to be here and share your story, I'm so appreciative. Thanks again. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Ah, so where, where should we start? Why don't we actually walk through a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey? Because I know you've got several ventures going on now, which many founders do, right? <laughs> All the things shiny and blingy out there, but maybe walk us through what you're currently working on and then where that kind of stemmed from. Absolutely. So I do have a couple of different ventures. You're right. Uh, you know, I'm a chronic entrepreneur. I can't help myself. <laughs> if I think it's a good idea, I jump on it. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think I really started my career, um, you know, just working like everybody else. I got my degree in history and uh, I just, you know, didn't really know what I was going to do with my life. I thought I was going to go into law for a great period of time. And, and suddenly I, there I was with my degree, no idea what direction to go. And I ended up in nonprofit for a lot of years, which was one of the best places that I got my, my start. Um, there was a lot of very strong uh, female leaders in that space who were very open with uh, their processes and, and teaching me and allowing me to have a lot of opportunity and responsibility. And plus, I learned a lot about, you know, you still essentially in a nonprofit, you're still running a business, you have to keep the, your, your nonprofit solvent and, and uh, doing all right. But in the meantime, you're also really helping people. So that really informed how I work going forward and that I'm a social impact entrepreneur. Almost everything I do um, is about profit, certainly, but it's also about people and planet. Um, so right now I have two different uh, ventures that are going on. Um, one of them is called Lightleaf Solar. It's a solar panel company uh, that's, you know, solar like you've never seen it before. You actually can, uh, our panels are very light. They're lighter than your phone, uh, just as efficient as regular ones, but they're also, you can be shaping them in different in different positions. And so I uh, have a partnership with Rick Ratzlaff on, on that. Uh, on that venture and he's he's the he's the principal there he's really amazing and just quite a quite a brain and doing a great job you know running that business but it's wonderful to be a part of it and then probably my primary uh place where i'm spending my time right now is uh around our new initiative
initiative called Ethical Digital. So uh, I'm a digital strategist. We help a lot of companies um, across Canada and the United States with their digital strategy, meaning um, their, you know, their social media, websites, uh, email strategy, and basically how do they get to where they need to uh, meet their goals with their with what they're doing online. And then, uh, you know, I've just recently come into this new idea that, you know, for a while I was kind of worried. I'm like, are we the new cigarette company? <laughs> like what's happening <laughs> online? And I really wanted to dive in deeper into that and really analyze and understand what was going on. Now, my background is in technology. I think we're going to talk about a few things, you know, around that piece. Um, but in the meantime, it's really, uh, so I have, you know, technology, I have digital strategy, and we're going to change the trajectory of the internet with our new initiative called Ethical Digital. So basically, we're studying um, different groups like you know social media and well-being. How does social media you know does it does it cause anxiety? Does it cause a dep depression? And um, spoiler alert: there are correlations. <laughs> sure. uh, we have um, other projects going on. Where we're we're studying women in venture capital. How we can get more women into that space? That's a a, a whole group that funds the internet. So if we can study that and, you know, just um, adjust the, the makeup of the group of people who are currently funding, you know, the internet and kind of just see what we can get, you know, if we have more women involved in that, I think we'll see different things happening in that space. So we have a lot of different things that we're exploring. We're using research and action as well as digital strategy to help understand that space. And like I said, change the trajectory of the internet. Wow, that's brilliant, Katrina. And I have no doubt that you'll actually do it. You will get there. And this didn't start overnight, right? Your desire to become an entrepreneur. I know you've got these ventures now. We actually met, I was trying to do the math. I don't know if it was nine or 10 years ago through was, I'm going to use the name right now, one story, but was that one of your first ventures, entrepreneurial ventures or no? It was, you know, I'd always had jobs and basically had side companies. So they weren't primary, you know, bringing money in. So it was just sort of like, you know, a way to supplement my income and have some fun and work on some creative products so I had like a video production company I, I published a children's book you know I did a few things like that 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 I uh, I really enjoyed but yes I would say the technology company was my first sort of major venture that I you know just put, went all in and uh, tried to make happen wow and you know through those early years of you starting uh, one story I remember your relentlessness of fundraising, going out, raising capital to just get to the next level, the next level. It was a, a, a non, a, a never ending process, right? To get out there and whether it was angels or VC or debt, uh, you know. Um, and so this kind of brings us a little bit into this discussion now around money. Yeah. And so I am curious with respect to the ventures that you had and, and really your whole kind of um, life adventure from school now, you know, into some of these entrepreneurial ventures, would you be kind enough to share any sort of financial themes or patterns that you saw in those ventures from a, from a historical perspective? Certainly. So I think, you know, it was interesting. I'm even going to start even before I started into business, because I think it's important to talk about that mindset piece. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I was one of those young women, our family didn't talk about finances that much, you know, it never really, you know, came up, I, I had to learn trial by fire when I left home, you know, even how to cover rent, you know, and, and I had to work my way through university and just learn the basics of taking care of myself financially. Uh, when I got married, I would take my paycheck and just hand it to my to my fella because he was good at that type of thing. And, uh, 
you know, then I was in the position where I got, you know, we, we had a divorce and suddenly here I had two young children. I was a single parent and I needed to not only make money, but I also needed to learn how to manage money. And so I basically went from, you know, passing a check over into, okay, we got to make this happen. Um, I even took courses on here to, here's how to understand basic financial statements, you know, from women entrepreneurs of Saskatchewan, all sorts of things. If I could learn, I was just devouring it to try to learn how to do this. And then as we got into developing this business, um, you know, we were bringing in, you know, I knew it wasn't my strongest point. So we ensured that we always had good financial people involved so they could help us, you know, accountants, bookkeepers, that sort of thing. Um, so I did a lot of learning, but basically kind of went from, you know, just kind of learning basic finances into raising capital <laughs> for a technology company. Wow. And so it was really something and I, you know, it, you know, one of the good things I had going for me is I have a relentless work ethic. I was really working hard. So with a technology company, it's interesting because it's not really the same as a normal business. The, the cost of development for your technology tends to outpace how much money you're making at the beginning. So there's an entire financial structure that's developed around this, around angel investment, venture capital, um, and just, you know, a lot of government support programs to help these tech startups get off the ground. Because if you can kind of make it past that flight area, you know, just getting off the ground, getting the startup going, there's a good chance you're going to have a very good, you know, a very good company down the road that's going to be contributing to Canada's innovation and, and you know, and everybody's bottom line kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of startups that fail too, and ours was one of them, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, again, even with having the best people and relentlessly searching for funds, you know, I was also in charge of sales. We had a small company and a small team. So one of the things that, you know, I learned very quickly is that when you're you know, selling your company or raising money in, in terms of equity and people investing in your company, you're not taking that time to sell your product. So you almost have, you know, so it's, it's this crazy balancing act of you still need to grow your revenue and you still need to have those sales coming in, but you know that they're never, you know, at those early stages are not going to be enough to get you where you need to go. So you're constantly raising that money and, you know, selling parts of your company instead of selling that product. And so it's, you know, it's a very intensive process, but I definitely learned, um, you know, one of the questions that often comes up is around, you know, mindset and technology and, you know, and, and scalability and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, mindset, particularly when it comes to technology is really about growth, you know, let's, let's grow, grow, grow. We can invest in you in the beginning, but then we have to see those numbers and everything moving. And uh, it's a very different mindset than a lot of traditional businesses, because oftentimes that's sort of like grow your revenue. Okay. Now you can expand, grow your revenue. Okay. Now you can expand. And, uh, you know, instead of the let's go, we're going to hit it in this kind of a direction. And so I have to say, you know, I, I, very attractive person. I very attracted personally to the growth mindset. It, I just, it works for me. I like the idea of impact and reaching as many people as I can, as quickly as I can with some of the initiatives that I'm doing, but it is a definite challenge and a very different way of looking at business growth and, and financing. Wow. And so when we look at some of the financial challenges that you, um, that you, you incurred. And I don't know if you want to talk about in, in the past with one story, even now, or if there's a pattern with some of the challenges that you're facing now, and whether it comes from a money management perspective or a money mindset, what were some of the biggest ones for you to personally get over or get through? Absolutely. And I'll, I'll say I'm actually dealing with one of them right now. <laughs> so, so with one story, um, we our, our, our revenue is kind of like this, it'd be, you know, up you know, a crazy one month and then, you know, negative the next month. And then, you know, we just really had a difficult time getting it to really even out. 
Um, now with the businesses I'm running, you know, we see that, you know, the trajectory, you see that path, you understand it. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's important to kind of build that foundation and, and have that strong, strong baseline. Can um, I ask you one question on that? Was yeah. the ups and downs because of the investment back in, in the program development, or was it your cash flow? Like your, your incoming was always up and down or was your incoming always steady? No, so I would say the, the incoming and the revenue was all over the oh, place. Okay. We just okay. had a very difficult time stabilizing it. And, uh, you know, even if we had great sales pipelines, you know, it would just, and it, it was very cyclical and, you know, and we had difficulty getting, you know, retaining people past a certain, you know, number of months and all that kind of stuff. And there was just so many things to learn and so many numbers to monitor and, and try to improve. And we just never got there. And it was devastating. Like it actually, you know, I'm very open about this, that, um, you know, we had different ways that we were financing that company. We had, we had some revenue coming in in different forms. Uh, we had a lot of government support. We also uh, had investors and, uh, you know, the, um, and then also debt financing, sorry, is the fourth one. So that's, you know, basically your lines of credit and, and that sort of thing. And a lot of these groups, you know, they, they took a, took a leap out for us. And there was a time at the end of that company where I couldn't even pay, just the baseline of what was required for, especially for that debt financing. And so I just called them to be like, Hey, can I just have a week, uh, you know, kind of thing to get this together, even this baseline amount. And, you know, I'll just continue to pay it kind of thing. And I basically got registered letters from all of our debt financers within a week. I even had some people come and deliver it to the door saying, we want this money all paid back within, within a week, you know, within 30 days kind of thing. So instead of not even being able to pay the minimum amount, you know, all of a sudden you're being requested to pay, everything back all at once when you're already in a difficult financial position. And so, wow. Wait, yeah. Sorry. I'm just taking a moment to it digest was, that because, um, you know, typically when I'm, when I'm consulting and working with clients, you know, when, one of my first pieces of advice is reach out, let them know where you're at. You know, it, they want to hear from you. They need to hear from you. And then here you are doing all the right things and then you get hit with uh, the recall. Yes, you know, it was intense. And I had great relationships with all of our funders too. Uh -huh. And that was actually, you know, one thing that was lovely is I was able to actually maintain relationships with almost everybody who funded us, or including our investors and such, even though it sucks because I lost the money, but it, you know, it, it was really a very intense process to go through. And all in all, it was about $100,000 in debt. And for some people, that's not much. For me, it was a lot. I was concerned about losing my house. I was, you know, there was a lot of really scary issues. Um, fortunately, I have a, a great life partner. Uh, his name is Michael. He was able, and he has a, you know, a good stable salary. So he was able to co-sign a line of credit with me and then we were able to pay it back. So <sighs> It took three years of both of us scrimping and saving and completely focused and working our faces off, to be quite frank, and we were able to pay that off eventually, but it was a very intensive thing to go through, and so, you know, right now, particularly because, you know, getting lines of credit and debt financing is, you know, it's so cheap right now, and everybody's trying to, you know, all the, all the bailouts, you know, out of COVID yes. or debt financing. And I, every time I hear another program that we've got announced for people who are already in a difficult financial position, I just, I just cringe because it, it's, you know, yes, it seems like you're almost getting a grant, you know, you finally, oh, okay, $20,000 came out of the sky. I can make payroll and, you know, and all these things. But in the meantime, you have to pay that back. And as the, as the entrepreneur, that, that comes to you, especially if you, and, and most of these in early stage financing, they do ask you to put up your own uh, personal 
um, guarantee. So, you know, like my host was on the, our host was on the line. It was a really intense thing. So I know debt financing is, is, um, a really powerful way to grow your company. And as uh, you know, I'm, I'm raising some money right now for my new venture and I I'm still considering debt financing, but it's also, I understand now the complete repercussions of that and being very careful with it because, it's, it's not a grant, you know, it's a lot of Canadians sort of have that feeling. It feels like it, but it is not. And it can be have very serious repercussions for you. Oh. Well, again, thank you for your, thank you for your candor and, and sharing that. And I, I actually just want to, um, let's just go through that again, because what you said was so powerful and so important. Uh, so just so that it's very clear for everybody. So the, what we're talking about debt financing, these are typically loans and all the government programs that are out there right now, that 60,000 that many business owners jumped at it, it. And I understand when people are in the middle of crisis, you, you don't necessarily think through, especially when it comes to money. So few founders are crunching the numbers And so to your point, there's only a small portion of that that's forgivable if you pay it back in time and the rest is going to be sitting as debt on the books owed to the government, which is usually the first source of collection, right? They usually get their money back. So important to understand all of that. And then there was another term that you threw in there that I also want to make sure everybody's crystal clear on, which is the, uh, the personal guarantee. Mm -hmm. Right. Which means that in the event that the business can't repay the loan, the business goes under, then it is up to the entrepreneur and or potentially all the directors in the company, if it's a government debt, to pay that money back. And if they can't, then the personal assets are then seized and liquidated to get that money paid back. So, again, thank you for that. that, um, Thank you for that vulnerability, because I think that's such an important point for people to kind of wrap their head around um, going forward, because if they are sitting in any sort of financial chaos or struggle right now, it's about making sure they can put a plan in place so that they can get that debt repaid for sure. Absolutely. Sure. Oh, thank you. So, yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a challenge in that one. And so, sorry. So the, the, um, the challenge, what I'm hearing in that challenge was the inconsistency of revenue and just not being able to get out in front of it to get that consistency to pay down the debt. Was that what was wrong with the, the, the model? Cause the idea was brilliant. It was a great, and I also think too, like, you know, technology's persnickety, right? <laughs> and we were early, you know, it was a video platform. We were basically crowdsourcing videos and we were at a stage before Facebook live was a thing before everybody was zooming like crazy. And, um, you know, the idea of doing a video that wasn't high end produced was really foreign to a lot of people. Like they're like, well, we can't just have, you know, have a bunch of people on video talking, you know, so we actually do a lot of education and such at that point. So it was a bit of timing. It was a bit of that revenue generation and then a lot of, you know, other, you know, different factors that, you know, financial stress can bring on a business partnership as well. And so, uh, you know, so there was a lot of components that kind of went together in that piece. And to be honest, that was the first thing, you know, as I started up this new business, I've been, you know, running it now for, I'm going into my third year you know, my, my revenue is not, you know, it is just, it's number one right now. I focus on it constantly and it, you know, not because I'm money hungry, not because of, you know, anything. It's just, it's, it's a measure of the health of my business and what I can do for impact and hiring other people and actually getting this idea out there. And if I'm not paying attention to it, then I can be in a lot of trouble. And I just, you know, I think that's probably the most important thing that I've learned is that you know, revenue is not, you know, just one thing that you're paying attention to. It's the most important thing. Okay. 
All right. Hi. Um, and sorry, just one other thing that you mentioned in there that I, again, just want to come back to so much value in it is that window of opportunity especially if you're a tech-based business. So, you know, a lot of business owners, a lot of founders out there, are, oh, I'm starting something. I'm starting it because it's a great idea. I'm starting it because I love it. And then very few have kind of mapped out what is the window of opportunity? How long do we have to build this, scale it, sell it, and get out, especially with tech, right? Because it's like, mm, small. Yeah. And yeah. it's, you, know, you got to be moving hard and fast. So yeah, technology, if you're going to be serious about it, is a very intensive uh, thing to build and share. I know there's a lot of, you know, sexy news of people, you know, raising millions and, you know, 5 million here, 20 million here, Vendasta just did 120 million, you know, you know, that doesn't just come accidentally. That's not a person who just, you know, say, oh, I'm going to raise $5 million. Like that is a person who's been in a company that's been working like crazy to make this dream happen, learning like crazy as many, you know, you know, a lot of people, you know, go to school for finance in the tech company, you kind of learn as you go, but there's also entire structures around uh, those, those founders and those people and people with, you know, past success, uh, government funds and, and groups and other founders that really, you know, work around those people to help them build their company to that next level because they've already got the traction and, it just requires sometimes a little bit of extra. So, you know, I don't want that to scare people away from making a tech company. It's just right. understanding right. that it is an intense process and you do need to do it with the community and people will teach you and, and, and teach you how to move and grow into those stages. So let me, um, let me just ask you then, because as one of the big learnings then from one story, you started off in this situation saying, you know what, I, I came from a family where we didn't really talk about money. I had to learn along the way, right? You got married, you didn't talk about money. And then all of a sudden you were forced into a situation being on your own, two kids to have to learn about it. Then you start a business, you have to learn about it. But it sounds like you also surrounded yourself with the right financial experts. You had the bookkeepers, you had the accountants, everybody was doing the right thing. What would you have done differently in that situation? Do you think? I think I probably would have focused again more on sales of the product. I think I probably would have actually hired a salesperson. And oftentimes as founders, uh, we, and you know, I'm actually going to a process where I'm hiring a salesperson for this company because at the beginning stages, you're the salesperson, you're the person doing it. You're the person, you know, um, implementing everything, billing everybody and changing the the garbage. (laughs) And, and, uh, then as you get going and growing, you know, for me, like I agree now I'm concentrating on this, this, this raise right now for the company. And so I'm not concentrating on the sales of my, you know, the product as much. And so I'm like, hold on, you know, where your attention goes, that's where energy flows kind yes. of thing. And what can we do? And I'm like, I need somebody who's just concentrating on sales constantly to find the right clients. And really, you know, cause again, it's not just about that revenue piece. It's about impact. We have a genuine impact on people's businesses. So it's not about like, you know, I always laugh about like marketing and sales. People kind of have that feeling about it, but I'm like, no, it's, you know, you are helping someone else solve a problem that they have. And so, you know, you just need to concentrate on that piece of where, you know, we can solve a lot more problems for a lot of people. If I have somebody concentrating on finding the right people for us. I love that. I'm, I want to take notes, but then I don't want to take notes because I want to listen to what you're saying because there's so many great things there. And so, um, One of the things you said so many things there that I loved, but I, so staying focused on sales, making sure that somebody does that and that the revenues keep coming in the piece that you're mentioning though, too, about impact, why I think that's so important. 
you're you're absolutely like right. It's you know what you what you start to focus on is you know where where all of your effort goes, right? You start to create more of that, and then the impact piece. I think you can only get impact if you're doing sales. And I think a lot of founders avoid the sales because of, and I'd like to speak to you about this in, in a little bit here, but sense of worthiness or some resistance to, oh, do I have it all right yet? Is it perfect? Got to make sure all my decks line up before I go to market, right? It, uh, minimum viable product, get it out there, start selling, let the users tell you what, you know, what needs to happen with it. But that impact piece is so important too, because ultimately that's what you're selling right? Yeah. You're selling the problem and you're only as good as your solution and you won't know how good your solution is unless you're measuring the impact. So it's like a full circle moment for me there. <laughs> I love That's that. I love yeah. that. Okay. Now, out of curiosity, have you noticed that any of these, any of these challenges have uh, repeated themselves? It sounds like you're catching yourself in this business with, wait a minute, I'm going down that same rabbit hole of getting too caught up in the fundraising piece of it, pull back, get someone focused on sales. Any, any, any other patterns that are repeating that you're in the midst of catching or? Well, one thing I definitely, and I think a lot of women in the generation, but actually a lot of guys too, who are, who are founders is, is fear. And you get into this idea like, Hey, I want to start this business. You're ready to go. And you're super bold and, you know, energetic. And then all of a sudden the reality catches you up. Like, who do I think I am? <laughs> I'm going to raise money. What do you mean? And, you know, of course, having a bad experience doing it before as well, you know, I, I have to catch myself. But the problem is coming back to this question of impact. I, I can create a certain level of impact with what I'm doing right now. I could just stop right now and be like, my business is doing great. I could just keep going exactly how it is and live a very happy, you know, healthy life with a, with a reasonable business that's, you know, feeding my family and a few others as well. However, I know that if I get past my fear, if I find a solution that's going to work for me as the founder and, you know, for some of my fundraisers, that I can actually, well, potentially impact the world with what I'm doing. And I'll never be able to do that at my current level of, of what, I'm, what I'm accomplishing. So with that fear, like I've actually, I hired business coaches to help me get through that. I've, I've hired, you know, um, I go to a lot of women's group, like women's business groups, cause I just find, uh, you know, I, I speak that language, you know, <laughs> with the other women, you know, a lot more, but I also just, I surround myself by people who are already doing it. So it just becomes normalized and it really, you know, it's still scary, but I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it, you know, carefully, but you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm a bit of a risk taker. I, I just have to make it happen. So can I ask, what is the fear? What are you afraid of? Oh, it's the fear of failure again, you know, and, you know, losing other people's money, losing my own money and having to spend years financially recovering, you know, again, and, but I'm still going to do it. I don't think that's enough to stop me from the impact that I think, I think that the, the business case and the, my motivation to you know, make a foray into the world of the internet and can we adjust its trajectory? You know, for me, that's still worth it. My passion is overriding my fear, but I still need to be using my brain and <laughs> thinking yeah. about it again, surrounding myself by the right people with the right advice so that I can, I can take that next level. Hey founders, I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Gab Lab. Remember, this is our first in our series of financially fierce founders. We're going to have plenty more and we're going to get back to Katrina in a moment, but I just want to take a moment here to celebrate and acknowledge the support of our champions, Community Futures Saskatchewan. 
They do have 25 offices across the province that are there to support entrepreneurs in, uh, in rural Saskatchewan, but know that Community Future Saskatchewan is a part of a larger network across the country. So if you're an entrepreneur and you find yourself in business or starting up a business and you're working from a rural community, please reach out to your local office. Hey, do you remember Katrina saying that one of the most important things that she did was to surround herself with a network, a community of people who had been there, done that, understood how to get to the next stage. This is your community future office. They are there, they've got your back, they know what it takes. They are beyond just getting you financing to get started, they're teaching, their mentorship and their support. And these episodes would not be possible without their support. They've really helped us to bring and curate this content so that you know that you're not alone in your journey, whether it's the journey of entrepreneurship or whether it's the financial journey that goes along with it. So thanks for watching this episode. I will see you back in the lab with Katrina German. Awesome. It's, um, you know, I'm putting on my behavioral finance hat on right now. And I know, uh, I think most people watching maybe not know of my story with the insolvency in 2009. And um, for me, like, I, I wasn't able to get through it. There was just millions that were, you know, that, that were owed back and there was no way I'd be able to get that done. But for me, it was this, uh, it, it was the guilt of letting people down, right? And now with that behavioral hat on, I recognize that it, it, it was my sense of worth and, and not being accepted because I had let others down. And so I, you know, I just want to, I want to celebrate you and the fact that you are so quick to get back on the horse and to, to, you know, ride through with that courage. Like it's taken me 11 years to get back on the horse. I just kind of like you know, went into, it became a wallflower there for a bit and, and really just had to, 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 to kind of find my center again and be able to get that courage. But um, I think what I have noticed in, in the work that I do is, is most people's fear around finances stems from, um, stems from acceptance and not feeling valued or having that sense of appreciation and being accepted, um, uh, uh, conflicted right, where there's friction with it. So once we can get past that and recognize that, you know, to your point, the impact that you're looking to make on the world, it could work, it may not work, but that your intent is there, mm-hmm. right? And I think, I think that is so important to, to take forward. Yeah. Uh, well, okay, thanks for that. And thanks for, you know, that, uh, thanks for having the courage to get back on the, on the horse to do it, because I think, you, um, you're setting, um, you're setting a bar for a lot of other women to do the same thing. And we, we need more women and men getting out there and solving problems. All right. Being a woman in business, I actually want to ask you a little bit about speaking of worthiness and acceptance and whatnot. You have a long list of awards and accolades, like our, our community, our society has definitely embraced you. And there's, you know, there's, there's tremendous value there to be embraced from, where do I get my list here? Women in communications, alumni of distinction with U of S, right? Being invited to speak at the G20 summit, uh, Youth Entrepreneur Alliance, Startup Canada, Future 40, Under 40, the list goes on. When you, a lot of women, um, 
there tends to be this imposter syndrome that a lot of people talk about. And uh, at their core, there's this sense of worthiness that's shaken. Ah, who am I to do this? You mentioned that. I think those were your words. How do you, was there any discomfort in receiving those awards? And, and if so, how do you start to walk through that? How do you reconcile that with yourself and how can you grow and learn from it? I love that so much. I actually run a group for women who want to kind of step up and be a bit louder and share their expertise with the world. Cause I just feel like uh, we've all been, almost everybody has been sort of socialized. I think almost all Canadians have been socialized to not brag about themselves, <laughs> but it's a, you know, particularly for women, it's, it's not considered a desirable quality, especially when we were growing up. Um, and so it was something that I had to get over, but ultimately what it came down to is you know, I was tired of applying for grants and, and, you know, trying to get things made and, and, you know, trying to create projects that I thought could be, have impact. And I always had this thing in my mind. I just, I just want to get to the point where if I say, let's try something, people just get behind me and say, yes, I don't have to try to convince them <laughs> that it's a good idea. Like I just, you know, I just want to be able to create. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so part of that, you know, and part of, I, I call it the entrepreneurship pageant, you know, where you basically, if you're raising money, sometimes you can go on a circuit and you can pinch a bunch of, pitch a bunch of angel groups in different cities and, and all that kind of thing. And, and you just need those things in order to give yourself some weight because you're going to meet someone in Toronto. Why, you know, who are you from Saskatchewan kind of thing? Yeah. And, and in the meantime, you know, if you're like, well, I'm a list of awards, you know, before you even meet me, then we're at least meeting on kind of a, an even, an even level. And so, um, so we, I, I strongly encourage women to just start applying. And I don't, I don't get all the awards or nominated for all the awards I apply for. I, I often don't, but I actually spend quite a bit of time. We have part of our team is, you know, looks for things like that, not only for ourselves, but for our clients, because it's really important to just, you know, kind of take those moments to be like, hey, we're doing something neat over here. And it also gives you an extra audience for what you're doing too. So the biggest part about it to kind of get over it and, you know, it, it, it's thinking, it's not about you. It's not like, oh, hey, this is the Katrina show. You know, I can't yeah. wait to talk about that. Yeah. I'm not doing it because, you know, it, of course it feels nice to win an award, but, you know, it's not feeding me, you know, that's what I live for or anything like that. What it is, is it gives me the opportunity to, you know, to do more work for other people. And that's how you have to look at it is not oh, hey, this is the, you know, the Tanya show. It's the, like, look how many people you're impacting with this podcast because you're willing to put yourself out there. Every person who's listening to this is suddenly going to have a different outlook and you have that value that you're sharing with people. So this show, even though you're hosting it and such, it's not you, it's not the Tanya show. It's about what you're doing for people as, you know, as they're listening and moving forward. And so if you can kind of remove it from yourself, so it's not about you, it's about what you can do for your kids or the people mm. even that you're doing this, do that. You know, it's not about you. It's about your community and what you can contribute. And if you can find a community of women who are all again, in that same mindset, who are all going to be working together and, and cheerleading for each other and, you know, just trying to promote each other and, and normalizing it to, to be out there and putting yourself out there in that very vulnerable way. Um, then that's when some power happens and, you know, you work it together. And so find a good community of people who just support you. And it's not weird to win an award. It's just mm -hmm. sort of, it's, you know, it's just part of your work. It's just mm -hmm. something you do. And it's not about you. It's just every once in a while, you get a nice little pat on the back and say, good job. <laughs> Beautiful. And so what I heard in that too, correct me if I'm wrong, but self-nomination 
is, mm-hmm. is okay. Self-nomination is okay. And I have to, you know, I sit as a, a, a judge and a, a reviewer of many of these um, nominations that come in for a number of awards. And it's true. The number of individuals who have self-nominated themselves is, um, is, is you know, it, it's up there. I would say it's probably 70 to 30, you know, 70% that are self-nominated versus 30 that have been nominated from other individuals. And um, I, I really appreciate that tip though, of just seeing past the fact that this isn't an ego booster this is about really getting your your purpose on a platform mm-hmm. right for Love impact that. like mm, get it yeah get outside of yourself and get it out there for for very different reasons very powerful um, i'm just going to stop you a quick second okay. i want to say per, per, get your purpose on a platform what a beautiful way to put that that is exactly you know, this is, yeah, yeah. You can just have so much more impact. <laughs> I'm sure that we'll see that in social media somewhere. Yes. <laughs> Twitter moment, whatever that is. Okay. Shifting gears. What about technology? Now I'm really curious about this tech space because um, yes, we, well, so we have people from across North America listing right now. Uh, I'm in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, middle of Canada. You're in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, middle of Canada. We don't typically tend to be a big tech center, although there's lots of things happening thanks to some really innovative companies. And you and your partner back in the day, you were a handful of some of these small tar- uh, tech startups that really started to shift the platform and the landscape of, of tech here. But I'm curious because you talked about it as well. Tech companies, they're raising millions. They're, you know, everybody's talking about IPOs, right? Initial public offering, going out there, exit strategies. A lot of this language is going to be foreign to some people listening, going, what are they talking about? But it seems to me there is a very different mindset, a very different mindset when it comes to tech-based businesses and being very comfortable talking about getting out at, you know, 50 million, 100 million, where you've got mom and pop shops that are like, oh my gosh, I, I can't even pay myself 50,000 a year. What are you talking about? 50 million. What is the mindset difference? Is it, is it learned? Is it nurtured? Or do these entrepreneurs just go in thinking differently? Um, I think it's a combination of all of those things. I'm a strong believer that there's a couple different founders. Uh, you know, there's a couple different types there are those who are control founders, you know, it's in, in, and there are those who are growth founders and neither are right or wrong. It's just sort of a different approach to life. So control founders tend to just want to have their fingers more in things. They want to make sure like they're not really interested in me potentially having investors or other people tell them how to run the business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they're, uh, you know, probably, you know, likely going to do a lot of their, their growth on revenue and, you know, things that they, you know, are more uh, familiar with or comfortable with like debt finance, financing or something like that. Whereas a growth entrepreneur is like, if I can get investment in here, I can really turn this business around, you know, maybe sell it in three years and, or, you know, grow it for 10 years and see what happens. And, and so it, and I don't, I'm okay if other people have, you know, controlling, you know, if, if I have investors in here who are telling me what to do, what to do occasionally, like I, if I have a board of directors, that's fine, you know? And so it's just sort of a totally different uh, viewpoint. So when uh, there's a lot of different people who come in with a lot of different motivations into technology, most of them are just trying to use technology to solve a problem that they see. And uh, so, you know, it, it's really not even like, you know, technology is everywhere. It's across all industries because it's just, it's a way to pro- solve problems. Um, but, you know, some people in technology are doing it on revenue and just growing it. Uh, Greg Sutton from Tiny Eye is a great example of somebody who talks about, you know, he has about 400 employees all over North America and, uh, 
you know, he's, he's done it all on revenue and built that company up and, you know, has some great advisors and such, but, you know, he hasn't really kind of followed what I called it, you know, like just that, you know, that tech process. Um, now, when it comes to like the high growth and, you know, financing and such, as I mentioned, I don't think anybody really comes in understanding that space. Like, I don't, I don't even know if there's like classes taught on it. Maybe there are, but basically, you know, a lot of it is just sort of trial by fire. You get in there and all of a sudden you're learning about financing. You're like, okay. And it becomes very normalized to talk about angel investors and, you know, because the community is yeah. all talking about it and other people are raising and you're learning how, and you're like, wait, I have no idea what to do with the paperwork around here. Someone's like, well, here's the lawyer you need to talk to, you know, and it's just, you know, it kind of yes. builds itself. If you're part of an accelerator, it's actually more of a formal, you know, so, you know, I actually highly recommend that if you're a person who has a tech idea, reach out to your, you know, to uh, technology accelerators in your city. They have all sorts of programs of varying levels of, of engagement, um, you know, so that you can basically, even if you have a job, you can maybe do it on the side, you know, things like that, but they can walk you through that process. And ultimately the difference between tech and regular businesses is that oftentimes with technology, um, you know, if, if you're, you know, use the example of the mom and pop store, you know, they have a, a, a group of people that are maxed out that are, you know, in their vicinity who are going to come to their store and buy, you know, there's, you know, they may have some online opportunities too. So that makes it more scalable and opportunity for that going. But oftentimes in the traditional model, it's kind of, you're only sort of servicing a limited number of people that are in your area. Whereas with technology, I can, I can reach thousands, millions of people a day. Um, and that's, what's very attractive to investors is that, you know, you're not kind of going to be tapping out on your market and how big that market size is. If you have something that is genuinely appealing to people, it is genuinely solving a problem and the right team implementing that, you know, that can really go far in this day and age. And you can see all sorts of technology success, success stories. A lot of them sure are built in San Francisco and area, but there are a ton of very successful technology companies that are built all around the world in small cities in in all sorts of places that you would never expect. And yeah. the reason is that they're just not limited by by their markets. Yeah. What was the um, uh, peachy printer? Remember the three D printer? Was that out of Yorkton? I think that was out of Yorkton, Saskatchewan. Peachy printer. It was one of the first three D printers out there. And whatever, I think he went for crowdfunding, right? And and raised some. It, uh, I'm going to be wrong on the number, but it was something like 75 million. And it was the first major raise through a, a crowdfunding effort that came from Yorkton, Saskatchewan, peachy <laughs> printer, peachy printer. Oh, um, but so coming back to tech, there's a, a couple of things. Actually, I just, I want to come back to this growth, um, the growth mindset um, versus the control mindset. Cause I think you're, you're, again, you've really hammered home on something important there. There's a whole behavioral finance perspective behind it. And what I'm about to say isn't going to be for everybody. And I don't even think we've talked about this before. But one of the things that I've noticed is when I ask people why they're building a business, and so we're tying it back to numbers right now, it's usually because a there's something I know that I've, I've got a, a solution that can change the world or so I love what it is that I do, right? I bake pies or, or whatever it is that they do. And I usually come back to, you know, so how much money do you need to make with it, right? What are your revenue goals? And it's like, oh, whatever we can do with it. And then I usually come back to, this is usually an eye opener, but I come back to, well, where are you off on your retirement number? 
right? Like when you think about investments and retirement, like how much money do you actually need to create financial security and stability for yourself at home before we start talking about doing all this fun stuff with a business? Usually I get crickets, right? It's like, I don't know what my gap is. I don't know what the deficit is. I'm not sure what that looks like. But as soon as we actually figure out what that retirement number needs to be, and usually on average, it's anywhere from like 1.2 to 1.7 million for people to be sitting comfortably, and then they're at a deficit of 1.1 million, then it's like, well, you could build a business that's worth 1.1 million. You could do that. You do have that option because you, you your business isn't paying off a pension, right? And you're not sitting. And so as soon as we kind of reframe that opportunity for them in terms of what they need to be doing financially or what they should be doing financially, it gives them a different motivation to actually shift from that control to potentially, hmm, I have the opportunity to turn this into a $1.1 million business. Or if you're like Michael Isaac Cashman from Wealth Simple. What did he just raise? 750 million US. I think it's one of the biggest raises in Canadian history for a company that's seven years old. Yes. Mm. So it's really amazing. It's really amazing. I also do think it's important to note that though, you know, it's not like that Michael from Well Simple is gonna be walking away with that in his pocket. No. Yes. <laughs> Correct. Correct. It might at some point, but but yeah. you're right. That that's the business. That's the business that got that money, not him. But um, so what I'm hearing then is that it can be learned. You don't need to go in with this mindset, but to learn it, you need to immerse yourself in, in it. You have to have a community around you. You need to be speaking it, living it, breathing it every day, just kind of, well, maybe not every day, but in it. Yeah, absolutely. And right. you know, like you said before, a lot of people get into entrepreneurship because they love something or they have a service they think can make it better. And once they're in it, they realize they barely have time to do that thing. I loved your making pies, for example. <laughs> you end up becoming a business owner and an entrepreneur, you know, as well as probably doing your craft. And so it's often, you know, easy to be like, how can I be a better pie maker? And, you know, and really focusing in that space, but you have to be practicing that business just as, as just as much and ensuring that your business is strong. Just, it's just as important as practicing your craft. Awesome. All right. Um, as we're wrapping up here, you've given us so much to think about. Again, thanks for your vulnerability with, you know, just kind of sharing some of those pain points as you went along. Anything that we need to, um, anything else that you want to share? And, and maybe also to just a little bit of perspective on um, getting into business with a, a, a partner. Is there anything that we need to be aware of? Not a life partner, per se, because ideally we have a good sense of the, the financial situation of a life partner, but a business partner, anything that you would recommend for founders out there that are looking for a partner and just to be financially aware of before they get involved. Absolutely. So I, I've had a couple of business partnerships. I, I'm running one of my businesses by myself um, with, with a team, of course. Um, but certainly when you're, you know, getting into that partnership, there's a lot of advantages. It's really nice to have a sounding board, someone who's going through the trenches with you, someone who can pick up the, the slack for, for certain pieces. Um, but, uh, you know, they're all also, you know, there's issues, you know, we talk about the found, you know, the growth founder versus the, you know, the, the, the control founder, you know, you do want to make sure that you're on the same boat because if one's like, let's raise money, let's go. And another one's like, hold on, let's just like, wait till we get there in four years. You know, you just kind of end up, you know, <laughs> you're steering the boat in two different directions. Mm. And so that can cause a lot of, a lot of issues. So I would definitely make sure that you're, 
you know, uh, you know, very clear on, on, you know, your intentions and what your kind of beliefs are in terms of where you want to be going with a business. If you just want to own something that's, you know, a really great, you know, just a way I let, you know, a business that you can run for the next 30 years and, you know, and have a good income and, and that sort of thing. Awesome. But just make sure, or, you know, you're on the same page as your, as your partner, you know, if, if they're planning to let's sell this business in three years, that's just going to be a very different trajectory and put a lot of extra pressure on a, on a relationship. Also make sure that your paperwork is, is very clean and in place. Like, you know, people get into partnerships because they like each other often and work well together. And you don't think about, you know, what happens if things go south and you should always have uh, partnership agreements and have things written down because things get really irrational when they're not going well. And, you know, if you have that paperwork in which to rely on to kind of guide you through emotionally charged situations, things not going well in a partnership, it's, it's, it can be very powerful. So I highly, highly recommend, especially when you're a startup, you're like, oh, I don't want to spend the money on the legal. I don't want to, you know, do any of those things, but take the time, pay the money, get that done. Because even though it feels like it's something that's just sitting there and you're never going to care about ever, maybe, but if you get into a position where you need to rely on it, you'll be so happy that you have it. Great advice. It, it is, it is like a marriage marriage isn't it? Absolutely. And financially too, because you're both indebted now. It's not that, you know, mm-hmm. one person carries the debt and the other yeah. doesn't. And especially with, uh, with, with CRA or with government money, right? If one person can't repay that, that and I, it, we're talking taxes too, right? GST, source deductions, whatever that may be. If one partner can't repay it, then it's a hundred percent on the other partner to repay it. So it's not this 50-50 split or however your shares are divvied up that you think that you're financially obligated. So important information there. Okay, um, any other insights before we we close off with the bottom line? You've shared so much already, again, thank you. But um, anything that we didn't, any questions that I didn't ask that that you wish I would have or Oh, I, you know, I can't really think of, you know, anything specific. I've really enjoyed this conversation, but, you know, ultimately I think, you know, it's, I love what you said about looking at that retirement goal. And I think that that's what every person getting into this should really be thinking about, you know, kind of feels like playing house or something, you know, you're playing business when you first start a, start a business. It's so exciting and you're in the honeymoon stage and you get to pick out your marketing colors and, you know, and everything feels great, but, you know, three years down the road, you're, you're making it happen it's not as, you know, honeymoon stage anymore at that point. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's real life. And so, you know, really looking at that end goal, what is it that you want to accomplish and, and working back from that, I think is just one is really powerful. And, and to also surround yourself with people who are just going to, you know, who are in that same goal set as you, they want to either achieve great things or they're running businesses they want to run for the next 30 years, or they're, you know, creating something they're just going to run for two or three years for fun, you know, but make sure that your community reflects the area that you want to go into. And uh, it'll just, you know, that organic learning will happen and you will get to your, your goals and, you know, having the right people working with you is also so powerful. So I highly recommend for people to be reaching out to you, Tanya, because you've helped me a lot different stages of my life too and so I know you're just excellent with this stuff so well thank you and yeah. right back at you and you know speaking of resources actually uh we were talking and you recommended this book scale 
or fail by Alison Maslin. And I did pick it up and I started reading it and it, it is brilliant. So thank you for that recommendation. So anybody out there that's looking to scale their business, actually it's so much beyond that, isn't it? It's really about building a team now, which I guess is really scaling as kind of that next piece up, but um, that it, it's a brilliant book. It's a great read. So thanks for the recommendation. Um, so my last question, as we leave off here with the bottom line, you know, my philosophy has always been about profiting in business, not at the cost of purpose, not at the cost of people, not at the cost of planet, but without profit, right? There is no healthy business. There's nothing sustainable. And that's what caught so many founders off guard with COVID. They had no retained earnings to, to sustain the pandemic. Any thoughts that you want to add to that? What's your perspective on profit? What have you learned about profit in your entrepreneurial journey as a founder? What can you share with us on that? Well, I think you're absolutely right. Just concentrating on those numbers constantly and, you know, not just monthly, you know, when your bookkeeper calls, but, you know, you want to be in there almost daily or every couple of days and understanding exactly what's happening, who's going in, what's going out, because this matters and this, yes. is, your, this is your measurement. And, uh, you know, again, you can do more if you have more. And so if you're focused on that space of like, I want to be building more, more revenue, um, you know, you'll come up with creative ways to do so. And if what you're currently offering isn't working, you know, you need to be adjusting constantly until you find something that is, if your price point is the issue, try that. And, you know, really business, you know, there's a lot of manuals, a lot of people who've done very well. So there's a lot of people you can learn from, but a lot of things are trial and error. You know, you're, you just try it. You put out this new product. Okay. That didn't go anywhere. Don't stop there. Try a different product, try a different way, try, you know, different price point, all that kind of stuff until you get to that, you know, regular foundation of, of, of revenue. And then you can actually enjoy running a business and, you know, not, you're not running it in fear and kind of behind the eight ball. You're, you know, you're actually leading a business and, and trying to get to your goals. So it's hard in the early startup stages. It's really hard to get to that space, but once you do, it's, it's just, it's so exciting because you're like, okay, we have a, you know, profitable business here and we're just, you know, we're just trying to make things happen and you can actually reach that impact that you're trying to do. Um, but again, a big part of that is bringing in the right people to help you. It feels hard sometimes to pay a bookkeeper because you're like, oh, my wife or my husband can do this for me or <laughs> whatever. And for sure, you know, if you have a great resource on hand to do that type of work, great. But also sometimes having those professionals, they can save you money because they know this in and this out of this bookkeeping something or this tax something. And so actually using those resources and, and bringing in people to help you, if you're, you know, if this isn't complete your forte, if you're like, I don't want to concentrate on it every couple of days, just make sure you build a team around it and it'll be a worth, that's a worthwhile investment. Beautiful. And so, yeah, I'm hearing it, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fail. You're going to fail often, fail forward, but make sure you're learning from those mistakes and your point about like just looking at the numbers, right? Don't wait till the end of the month, worse yet, don't wait till four months after year end. But to your point of you're not even, you don't know if it is or isn't working if you're not looking at the numbers. You have no idea. You know, it doesn't feel good if you're not looking at the numbers, but until you look at the numbers, at least then you start to know where you need to start tweaking things. So thank you for that. That is, uh, that's really important insight there. Katrina, as always, thank you for making the time to be here and to share all your intel and your insight. And again, for being so vulnerable and sharing that true story. I think that um, uh, 
Um, that authenticity is what a lot of founders need to hear so that they know that they're not alone in their journey and that uh, there's we can get to wherever it is that we're looking to get to, right? We're not isolated in this and um, everybody's making mistakes all the time. We just need to learn from them and move forward. So uh, thank you again for making the time. Uh, for all the listeners out there and, and watchers of the vlog, thank you for tuning into um, this first foray into uh, into chatting with our founders. And as always, stay safe, stay strong, and stay financially fierce. And we'll see you in the next episode of the Gab Lab. Bye for now. <laughs>